powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please, everyone, sit. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, David Milburn. What a tremendous honor to speak to him, and I couldn't have been happy with the response to the episode. If you've not had a chance to hear our in-depth interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 167, and we have a great episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Omri Amrani and his wife and partner, Julie Rablat Amrani. Now, together, these two artists have created some of the most iconic art sculptures from the Jackie Chan tribute, Shaquille O'Neal, the Harry Carey, and the most famous of all of them, the world-famous statue outside the United Center in Chicago known as The Spirit, which is the statue of the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. This was a real pleasure to speak with both of them, so let's get them out here. Duval Nation, please join me and welcome to the show, calling in today from their home in Chicago, Illinois, artists and sculptors, Omri Amrani and Julie Rablat Amrani. Hello, welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather up by the two of you today? Quite nice for motorcycle. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's good weather. I just came from South Carolina, so uh, it was a little bit warmer there, but uh, we're having some a nice spring here. Mm. So I start my interviews off the same way, and that is with the pandemic now coming to an end, how was it for you living in the COVID-19 world? Well, I can just say that, you know, we have a 10,000 foot square studio, uh, 10,000, yeah. And so we were able to maintain a low number of people in the studio that kept distance. So we kept working, basically. We kept working on projects. And other than that, you know, we're not located in a high rise, so we were not isolated on the 12th floor up in the air. We were, you know, we could go outside in our yard. So it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but you know, it was stressful. You turn on the TV and every day, you know, more and more people are passing and it was tough and just not being able to go in public spaces and the fear surrounding you, it was, it's been rough. Yeah. And my family was affected too. So it was, it was rough couple of years. Mm. What I can add is that the nature of what we do, because mostly it's projects or our own fine art. If you do your fine art, you're pretty much in your studio and you're looking for comfort zone. So you're incubated from the world in many ways. And a lot of the sources come in via uh, the internet or computer or uh, electronic sources. So it's it's makes life almost no different. In terms of the projects, most of our projects are long-term, kind of a year and a half, sometime to three years each project. And therefore, uh, as soon as the um, disaster zone happen, by closing the facility uh, and incubate ourselves with a small group, allow us to sustain pretty comfortable, create comfortable zone and safe zone. And if somebody would get a COVID distress messages 
or we get COVID, we immediately send everybody to be checked. So we kept going relatively comfortably. I would say, I wish for the rest of the world to have our comfort in that era. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? Well, I was born in a, nor a northern suburb of Chicago, Highland Park. So I grew up here and then I moved around, uh, you know, after the age of 18 and when I went away to college, I lived out west for a while in Utah, Colorado, San Francisco. I did some time, um, studied in France and Italy, met my husband in Italy, ended up moving to Israel for a couple of years on his kibbutz where he's from. We were married and had our son there. So I got around a bit, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm actually, I made full circle because I'm back here again. Nice. been back here um, 30 some years. Yeah. I was born in a kibbutz in the Jordan Valley, about 1500 feet from the Jordanian border. And when we were born, the children of the kibbutzim in that time, we were born in the Scottish Monastery Hospital in Tiberias until uh, Israel established a newly built hospital on a mountain. So as a born in a, in a kibbutz, we didn't live with our parents. We lived with the commune children homes. And that's the way we grew up during the 60s. We lived very kind of a weird era as soon as uh, 1967 war ended, the war of the border started until 1971. So in the bomb shelter, we live in the Woodstock and in the outside, we ran between the bombs. Mm. And, and sometimes you just wake up at the night and you hear the incoming and you tell yourself, forget it, you're just getting out of the bed because if the bomb hit the roof, it has to go through the upper level. And if it go through the lower level, if you are under the bed, the pieces will just fall on the bed and you'll be safe. So <laughs> it's kind of, we lost uh, 22 people in our uh, kibbutz uh, between the two uh, kibbutzim uh, in one year uh, in all different ways. In the same time, we had people from all over the world coming to stay in the kibbutz and work there temporarily and stay with us. So uh, we had some volunteers who got injured during that era. Mm. And of course, then I joined the military like every Israeli. I served in 1973 Yom Kippur War and uh, later on in 1982. In the meantime, I never went to art school or any high education because when you grew up in the kibbutz, you grew up in a farm and the farm was more important. So by the time they asked me what would I want to go to study, the result was to go to Italy to the Stone Age and break stones. <laughs> so we met in a cafe in Pietrasanta where Michelangelo opened up new quarries as opposed to Carrara. There was always a competition between the towns of Carrara and Pietrasanta in the Renaissance time. And Omri and I were working in different studios there and met over, you know, at lunchtime, all the studios close and you have to leave and you take a break. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the artists would meet each other during that time. Uh, but we met uh, 500 years after Michelangelo was in that place. <laughs> yeah, there, there were hundreds of studios. I also have to mention that in my background, I'm kind of generation of artists. And that's what maybe what gapped the differences between go to higher education because between the military and going to Italy, which was uh, between 75 to 85, 10 years, I served the kibbutz in several jobs. Some of them were agriculture and some were educational. Hmm. Uh, I ended uh, being in charge of 
5,000 kids of the city of Haifa in Israel, uh, the scouts. I had 11 responsibility for 11 camps uh, with no higher education, just uh, field experience in the bananas. And I, I finished my undergrad at University of Colorado, and then I went to the Art Institute, took classes from Eldon Danhausen in figurative sculpture, and ended up getting my teaching certification there. And then many years later, I went back for my master's at Art Institute of Boston at Lesley University. Mm. You know, we brought a lot of different backgrounds into the mix. I was about to ask you what your favorite memories from the University of Colorado were. <laughs> well, I, I was, you know, during filling a lot of uh, undergraduate courses, but also did a lot of ceramics and also, you know, with clay, have a lot of experience working clay. Mm -hmm. And being from the Midwest, I wasn't used to the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. So I mm -hmm. spent a lot of time outside too, definitely hiking and getting in touch with nature. And that had a big influence on me, mm -hmm. no doubt, you know. Who are both of your art idols? Well, I mean, several, you know, if you're going back to the Renaissance time, I would say Michelangelo and Bernini and the more modern artists, Rodin, uh, Camille Claudel, uh, Giacometti, Picasso. Of today, contemporary artists, I'd say Anselm Kiefer, Cornelia Parker, Anthony Gormley, mm. like that. If, if, you, if we're all looking back, and we say, who's the artist of all mankind? Uh, that artist only created 12 paintings and all the rest of his work was a failure. It was Leonardo da Vinci. He has a book of basically experiment of uh, failure experiments, but his failure people start uh, trying still to achieve today. And for me, the experiment in the arts, architectural, uh, engineering, etc. Even if you fail, you are a step forward into the develop of the mankind, and therefore he would be my first choice. Another choice would be um, Gaudi, uh, which when he died in, in 1910, and people didn't know who is this uh, person who just killed, he actually opened the door for the entire education system of Spain to follow up and keep creating his messages uh, from the nature element. So he was the maybe one of the early fractal uh, endeavors. Another person that I would choose is not necessarily artist, is uh, Benoit Mandelblatt, who was the master of fractal of his time. Uh, which led it into the next step. Uh, another person, of course, is Van Gogh or uh, uh, Salvador Dali. Among the more contemporary living, I would say Santiago Calatrava, who creating the motion elements of architecture. But nowadays, every youngster in high school who come with AI can copy all of them in a matter of few sentences and we are all become anachronists. It's scary, isn't it? Times are changing too rapidly. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a question of the future. Yeah. Now, your work is heavily featured in American sports. What about sports figures inspired you to create these absolutely amazing sculptures? Well, I would say because we're both figurative artists, Sports is of interest to us because of the dynamic motion, movement, concentration on muscle, the musculature of the human body and the way you can make them fly in the air. So, you know, whether it's a dancer or a basketball player or a skater or, you know, a diver or basically it's the figure in motion. And the expression on people's faces when they're, you know, there's like, when they're in the middle of, you know, putting out all this energy for, and their focus, they have almost expressions of angst. And, mm. you know, it's mm. not necessarily 
it's so different from if they pose for a picture, right? It's not mm -hmm. a standing figure that's posing. I mean, I'm not saying we haven't done a lot of those because there've been several requests for those over the, over the years. It's more interesting to get the figure in motion, flying in the air, et cetera. From my perspective, for me, the figure is the alphabetic star. The question is how you create, where do you choose to create your portrait? And I'm looking at this from the point that the mass, the material, the figure, the human flesh is only the tools to try to expose the human spirit, which is, I'm looking at a non-religious free spirit, not from religious aspect, but from secular aspect of the human spirit as, as something that we're trying to expose and I feel that one of the best mediums are the sports people. Because if you take a, a person like Michael Jordan, who was not the tallest, the strongest, the fastest, but he was a spirit of the team. And he had the concentration to, when you give him in the last three seconds the ball, he will put it in, in spite of all the tension and the pressure because he alleviated his spiritual power above the figurative. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, it's if you take a figure like this and you emphasize in, in a poetic way, in a, a sculptural, figurative, poetic way, and give this uh, effect, uh, you reach something that people has a reason to look for. For example, in Karim Abdul-Jabbar, the Julie uh, sculpted, when we discussed the issue is how to construct the base in the sculpture, the idea was let's break the granite and create a void that starts from the ground and in a negative motion go through the entire hookshot to the top. So actually, the sculpture starts from the ground, not from the top of the base and it's fly up in a hookshot mode, but it's create his void from his childhood, how the discrimination still was very strong in the New York, in the entire country area. So we bring it in as part of the emotional power that allow him spiritually to show everybody that I could be better than anybody else. Hmm. And in that way, we are trying to achieve a different expression in the art world you could definitely accomplish that you mentioned earlier uh michael jordan i'm just going to go ahead and skip straight to the spirit because you brought it up it is easily one of the most recognized pieces of work you've ever done uh which is you've titled it the spirit first off how were you approached to create the statue and where did the idea around the statue come from well i think the bulls had you know kind of a specific idea of what they wanted as far as you know, a position in jumping toward the basket, that spread eagle. So I think they they came with a certain agenda, but we we gave them several ideas as well. So many times the client will have something in mind when they talk to the artist, but then it you know it can transform too. Mm -hmm. Well. Uh, I kind of remember I was on the way back from a show in Miami when we got the competition. So I had to rush home and we had three days to create something for the competition. And, you know, the good and the bad of it that I was, when I got the call from Julie, I was somewhere, I think in around Georgia. I had about another 14 hours drive to think through the way. So when we came home, we consulted each other and we decided to go with the three methods, not to go with one drawing, but to come with three methods. One was the obvious, and we literally looked at this from a naive aspect, not knowing much about sport, uh, maybe even basketball, but 
from the gut feeling of what you want to create. And of course, the obvious was the spread eagle. Then the idea was, okay, that was the sharpshooter, the, the first hunch that come in. The next level was, what can we create something very amazing? We created a drawing that if you stand under the sculpture, he's kind of flying above you into the basket. One of his poses. And then we said, okay, we got the obvious, we got the amazing. What can we do something that in kind of out of the nowhere came the idea, the impossible. And the impossible was completely to free the figure from the base, to make him fly up in the air, completely elimination of a gravity. And we submit those three drawings. We actually were part of a 12 or 13 competitors. Mm-hmm. And uh, we said, all right, we probably lost the competition. And we packed up and we went to visit. Uh, it was the end of the year around the winter vacation for children. So we flew over back to the kibbutz to visit my parents. And we got the call at seven in the morning to come back to Chicago that we got the project. Oh, wow. So in an overland somewhere in the Jordan Valley, it was a very excited moment. <laughs> and I must also say that 20 some years after, we were able to create the elimination of gravity with a piece that hanging up from a glass window in Los Angeles for um, Shaquille O'Neal, who was oh, wow. coming out from the window. He used to bring, uh, break the plexiglass, so we uh, punished him forever coming out from the glass. <laughs> How involved was Michael Jordan in the creation of the statue? Well, he, you know, we had a photography session with him actually at the White Sox uh, locker room. We took, I don't know, hundreds of photos of him, basically. And then we met him again after we had sculpted the piece and we brought the head down to, it was Nashville, right? No, it was, it was South Alabama, Birmingham. Was, oh, Birmingham. Okay, we met him in a hotel. We brought the clay and it was hot. So we had to put it like ice around it. <laughs> so oh, wow. Melt because we used this uh, polymer clay. It wasn't water-based, it was polymer. And if polymer clay is heated, it starts to sag, you know? (laughs) So we had to make sure that it stayed cold. And we waited in a hotel room, I think all day for him. (laughs) And finally he came like toward the end of the day and he sat for us. And so we had some back and forth conversation basically, but it was definitely the bulls who made the decision of what they wanted in front Mm -hmm. of the United center. I, I, I must add here that that era maybe was the last era before the digital world hit the road and things started to upgrade it through computers. Hmm. We had to go through classic photos in the classic way, in the old way, in the old methods. Uh, with the experience of, of like coming from carving in marble instead of working through 3D printing and computer grids and, and all those elements. It was a whole different era versus what's happening today. I went back on, on YouTube and watched the unveiling of the statue. And obviously it's been 1993. What do you remember from the unveiling? What I remember is we stood there in a freezing night. And I looked at barrage of photographers and reporters standing there with a camera and, and microphones pushing forward to try to get every glimpse. And I realized that the range of the camera uh, cameras is only capturing from Reinsdorf to the Ch- Chicago children. And three of us standing next to Reinsdorf gonna be outside of the photos completely. Obviously, mm-hmm. The whole world saw that, but they didn't see the artists. And I knew that I would have the choice to step in and shake Reinsdorf and Michael's hands 
to say thank you, but that would be inappropriate. And we had to stand there in the frozen night, frozen evening and watch this all ceremony ceremony like we're spectators from the side. But it was, you know, it was very exciting to be mm. part of it, no doubt, you know. Mm. There's, there's a, another image that I remember after that we went up for the party and our son was five years old then. And I put him on a, on a, on a countertop and gave him orange juice or whatever. And suddenly Phil Jackson came in. And you saw this giant hand of Phil Jackson shaking hand with this puny hand of a five years old. <laughs> and I was so sorry that I didn't have a camera, but that's a sculpture that I always want to do and I didn't do it yet. <laughs> Last question about the statue, and that is, what was Michael Jordan's reaction to the finished product? I think he was pretty humble. I think, he, you know, in general, I think he was a little embarrassed, you know, because he's in the limelight but it's not in the middle of a game it's a whole different element so i think he was um a little shy actually during the whole thing and this is part, this is my interpretation and and this is part of what i really appreciated with my michael his humble behavior uh no matter what uh, how some people look at him so Almighty, but he still keep the 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 humbleness, the humanity. Okay, Deval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Omri Amrani and Julie Rabrat Amrani. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths? You know that's right, Clouseau style. In with the good. In with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Hello, this is Erica, host and guide of the YouTube vlog Mon Jardin au Coin. I invite you to join me as we explore the many joys of gardening, such as sowing seeds, raising plants, and the reward of harvesting. If gardening is something you're interested in, or you just want to follow my adventures and receive tips to help any novice break into starting their own garden, you can find Monchard on Oquan on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I look forward to having you hang out with me in my little garden on the corner. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own, with your own money. You get the summer off 
you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. It's hey there, friends. It's Local Neighborhood Baby, host of Stressed, Depressed, and Anxious Podcast, with new episodes every Monday. Go to the website, stresseddepressedanxious.com. There you'll find links to all of your favorite listening platforms so you can download and subscribe. The thing is, mental health illnesses make us feel so alone, like we're on this weird island all by ourselves, screaming at the top of our lungs with nobody around to hear us. But the real truth is, you're not alone. I'm there too. On the podcast, I'll take you through all the intricate, intimate details of my very f***ed up life. We'll be laughing about it, crying about it, and everything in between. Because the truth is, you know what? It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We just can't see it sometimes. But I'm going to be right there with you in the dark. So go to the website, stressdepressedanxious.com. Download, subscribe, interact. Come join the fun. I'm here. You're not alone. This is Chad from The Shame. We're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find our stuff at theshameshop.com or listen to it on almost all the streaming services. We'll see you down the pub. Cheers. everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 167 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with famed sculptors and artists, Omri Amrani and Julie Rablat Amrani. So what inspired you both to open the Fine Arts Studio? Well, we both are working artists, and a lot of artists also teach. So we figured that for a number of years, we would also, you know, go back and forth between doing commission work and teaching and doing our own work. And that was our vision as a couple to build that. I must say that between two of us, we probably, the 300 is the number that become very familiar with us. We probably worked with over 300 students in the Chicago area. Julie used to teach in the Art Institute, and I taught in the Palatin Chisel in Harlem Park, in Long Grove. And we, and we taught out of our studio as well. Yes, and we brought artists to our studio, and slowly those who stayed and become a master on their own, some of them are still with us in building their own career in our facility. So we can kind of develop a small community that put a statement in the world in many ways, because until today we have done over the 300 pieces worldwide. If you look at the Jackie Chen in Shanghai, 
and uh, Lovell at the planetarium, which is not in the sports world and the you know space. Mm -hmm. And that was a really exciting project working with Jim also. We're, we put in some work in Saskatchewan, Canada for the Rough Riders. And very soon we're going to unveil a piece for Fergie Jenkins in his hometown. So, you know, it's all, that's not even included in the United States. I mean, when we were working on the Lovell Project, some of the photographs that we were getting from the planetarium that had incredible shots, I was, I remember just sitting there one night thinking, gosh, trying to imagine myself sitting in, you know, a, a rocket ship staring down at the moon. <laughs> what an awesome you know, vision to be part of and mm -hmm. also scary too. I mean, what we, what they went through at Apollo 13, mm -hmm. they didn't think they would make it back. Mm -hmm. They really didn't, but you it wasn't probably... to go. Jim, he was so disappointed that they didn't make it to the moon because that's mm -hmm. really was the end all for him. That's really I... what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Julie, I read your battle with breast cancer inspired you to create several notable pieces. Can you tell my listeners about them? Well, actually, I did get breast cancer when I was working on the Michael Jordan. It was like mid midway, kind of toward the end of the clay part of it. And we said to my oncologist, would it be okay if I finished if we finished the piece and I did the treatment when I was done with the clay, because if I had started it at that time, you know, I, I was pretty sick from, from all those treatments. So it was tough. I also tried to do a piece for the Why Me organization for the city of Chicago in um, Grant Park. And we tried to push it through all the politics there, but it was tough. It was really tough, but I did design a piece for that park and um, and we tried to make it happen, but it never did. Mm. You know, I did and I did put some pieces, some two dimensional oil paintings in Evanston Hospital, which is a local hospital. My doctor and uh, nursing staff, they were very supportive of that, and they had a special budget for it and art for healing, basically. So I did do pieces in that vein. Yeah. I was told you both created the statue for Harry Carey that is outside Wrigley Field. How long did that take to create? Actually, it was Omri and Lucella. I didn't do that piece. But... Uh, I think it took about close to a year. It was kind of a... <laughs> It was the first experiment in the white bronze, like the Dirk Nowitzki's piece, and like the uh, Red Wings, which are white bronze. Um, but we understood one thing, that, you know, Harry, Harry Carey was not a standing general. He was the grandpa of Chicago, of the Cubs, of everybody. You would walk at three o'clock in the morning and you, bounce into him in the middle of the street and it, it would start to kind of uh, bug you on the cubs and talk to you about baseball even if you're falling asleep he wouldn't care it was kind of a character that that you cannot make him like uh, just a standing figure he had to create something so we create him blasting out from the stadium like it's a it's it's the seventh inning and we even named the piece in a one and a two and a three with hoping that the choir standing there around the piece and start to take, you know, the, the take me out to the ball game. Uh, because there, there will be really Chicago style, you know, the Cubs style. So in a way, you kind of share the whimsical with the art and, and all the fact. And by all means, I don't watch sport, mm -hmm. but I'm trying to get the spirituality behind everything. How did the Jackie Chan tribute come about? Well, it's actually started as a joke. Really? Uh, we were laughing about these movies and we said, uh, how about we contact him, see if he's interested in something. And it took from that step up the step, it took almost 10 years 
to unveil the piece. It, it, it took its course and Julie and Itamar flew over for the unveiling uh, after they installed it uh, near his museum in Shanghai. So we, we met him in person in Los Angeles and we did several designs for him. And he chose one and it was him battling the dragon of Kung Fu hands. You know, all the hands are based on basically movements of animals in nature, whether it's a snake, a tiger, and all these different positions of the hands made up the whole dragon. And he's battling that dragon and it kind of forms somewhat of a heart because, you know, Jackie Chan has a big heart. And he's always making this symbol of the heart <laughs> as well. But he's really, as a personality, he's very close to, in real life, what he is in his movies. He's definitely a jokester. Really, I enjoyed meeting him. And, and they were so, you know, thankful and accommodating when we went there and installed the piece and and treated us like royalty. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, on, on the way of the making, one of the meetings that we had was in, in Vegas. And we had to go through the MGM, through where all the, you know, the people who was gambling, the masses, then through the, the, the exclusive rooms of the higher gambling, then through the highest end rooms of the enclosed doors that you only could see a little bit into the uh, queen side of uh, the interior area where only very uh, VIP people sharing space. And that's where he came. It was after the big tsunami that happened in Far East. And they came from fundraising for that. He was like exhausted. Well, he hadn't slept in like two days. Yeah, he was totally exhausted. And he was sat there like he's melting into the chair. And as soon as we started to talk about the sculpture, he woke up and in five minutes, he leaded the whole thing with energy that you don't know from where. <laughs> and we were just watching him moving, jumping over seats, moving chairs and, yeah. and you know, stuff. <laughs> and it, I mean, you cannot even imagine that. I this. felt like I was watching a movie, to be honest with you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so we had a self-entertainment over there. That's amazing. So you both get a chance to speak to your younger selves. And after all you two have been through, what do you tell them? That's an interesting question. Um, I guess, you know, you have to kind of trust life that it will reveal itself if you work really hard towards your dreams, even though you're going to hit lots of barricades and obstacles and doubt yourself. And if you keep pushing ahead, some of those dreams do come true. And so you really have to keep a positive attitude and you have to keep going and keep creating and not get caught up in a muddle when things don't go your way, really. You have to, and somehow it just happens. You know, you go, how am I going to get A to Z? How am I going to get there? You, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're thinking, how am I going to do it? And it's really a day-to-day step-by-step process you cannot get too far ahead of yourself you know when i've been authorized to go to italy in 85 the entire people i knew started to move into learning computers digital world and here this guy is going back to the stone age to carve break stones and go into the dust and the I mean, in the opposite direction is literally you're going into the Stone Age. And you have to come out of it and ask yourself, what did you do? I would I would tell this youngster, stick for the human values, number one. Don't forget the human values. And I'm looking at them, uh, the most important are the, the five I would follow. The value of life, the value of justice, fight for equality, fight for peace, and fight for doubt, less for the belief, more for the doubt. And take this motto and build your foundation and spine on top of it. Don't be afraid to fail 
because a failure is a way, the honest way to succeed. That's powerful. And go and experiment and learn and be a student for the rest of your life. Just like Leonardo da Vinci kept studying, inventing, failing, but all we succeeded because of him better. So what is next for the both of you? I'm continuing to do commission work, but I'm also pushing my personal work for exhibitions and more towards the museum world, gallery museum world, and um, reflect what's going on in society today. You were talking about AI, um, the computers, and just kind of talk about our coexistence with the world of technology and also our concern with keeping our planet healthy so that we don't destroy ourselves and, you know, think about humanity. You're not in, in an isolation at all. Everything is interconnected. We're connected to the earth to the underwater, to space, to other humans, to other nations. We're all one organism. There is no separation. It's basically, everything is interconnected. The point I would like to look at today, I'm like, uh, how shall I say, I'm like a positive catalyst spider on the web because in my web, I have the skill of the carving marble. I have the skill of knowledge about granite. I have the skill of, of knowing the way of the metal, if it's a bronze, aluminum, white bronze, stainless steel. I have the, the skill of knowing how the computer will operate all the way up to the AI and beyond into the future. But as a spider, I have to be on the level that uh, understand that all of those elements are techniques, there are materials, there are opportunities, but we are the humans and we are the human society with our values and that's the most important. So how do we entering seriously into the 21st world and coming out into the 22nd century, still human society with the values of the humans versus become animal chewing each other. So as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. And that is when you are both not involved in your craft, what do you do for fun? How do you relax? Well, I like to go in nature. I like to go visit, um, Canyonlands in Utah, or the beaches of South Carolina, or Northern California, stand on the coast on those amazing cliffs, and feeling how small we are in the universe. Yeah, I, I think I like really going out in nature, and also, you know, exercise, swimming, also helps center me, or meditating. You know, not so complicated. No. I, I just uh, I just drove from Los Angeles all the way to Chicago, 2,000 miles, with no music. Everything was in my head, and I was not bored for a second. <laughs> a sometime I also enjoy monk with uh, motorcycles, so I got five of them. I ride them as much as I can and work on them and build on them all kind of gizmos. So it's part of my fun. Nice. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures, look at your work online? So we have two different websites. Um, my personal website is jramrani.com. And our business website is rotbletamrani.com. Okay. And rotblet is R-O-T-B-L-A-T-T, Amrani, A-M-R-A-N-Y.com. You also just, uh, you just can goo me. 
Omri Amrani, and that's it. Google? Gumi okay. with photos. <laughs> All right. I end my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? Save yourselves. Stay human. All right. All right. Omri, Julie, I've been looking forward to this interview for weeks. You guys have not disappointed in any way, shape, or form. Thank you ever so much for taking the time. I've, I know incredibly busy schedules to do this. So thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Thank you. We Th much appreciate your interview yeah, and taking the time as well. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 167. I want to thank Omri and Julie for taking the time to come on the show. What a fantastic pair, and I was incredibly humbled when they agreed to come on the show and tell their story. We will have a link to their studio in the show notes so you can check out their work. But we are not done yet. We, I have a very special treat for my loyal listeners. I enjoy catching up with past guests, and this lady was one of the most popular. So Duval Nation, please welcome back to the show, the star of episode 99, social media sensation, Rachel Pizzolatto. Rachel, hello. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. It's been a long time. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's good to see you. You as well. Lots been going on in your life. You've been uh, setting the internet ablaze. Yeah, I'm glad you've noticed. Um, I literally just came back from New York. I had a billboard thanks to Alexander Gurman. Thank you so much. It was literally me doing the role that everyone hates, like the kip up forward roll into like the superhuman pose. And that was just a great experience. I did 16 outfits in one day because wow. every hour for one minute, the billboard came on and every hour I changed. So I had 16 outfits. <laughs> How long does it take you to like, you have to go to a place, you have like a hotel room, you have to go run, 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 oh. change real quick. Or you have to go like oh, a public no. restroom. Oh no. I was in the car. So oh, wow. I, have a, <laughs> I have a Honda Elantra and it's okay. pretty small, but you know, I'm pretty tall, but I got some flexibility in there. So yeah, I changed 16 times in the car and I had to put up a blanket on like well, yeah. you know, my windows and everything because there were random people walking by. And I was literally down the street from everyone in Times Square. So like, wow. yeah, if you saw something, I am so sorry, but it was... <laughs> It was a necessity. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it probably takes me about seven to eight minutes to, like, fully change, get my makeup and hair and everything ready. And then sometimes I went into the hotel if it was, like, a pair of jeans that I physically couldn't get on. <laughs> and I needed to stand to do that. But, right you know, on. quite well. Yeah. So now you've been working now with some phenomenal photographers. Like I said, your Instagram, your your photos are, are, are phenomenal. You've been doing, what do you call it, flipping Fridays now you've got you got you got themes galore tell tell my listeners about all the great things you got going on right now on your Instagram and your social media channels yeah so I don't know if I talked about being a guest girl um last time no you didn't that was brand new yay good how'd that happen first of all um I have been doing the Instagram thing pretty heavily and doing a lot of sponsored posts and getting out there as far as modeling goes and Brian Adams, you know, the rock star Brian Adams. So he contacted Paul Marciano, who's the CEO of Guess, and he's like, check this girl out. She's the real deal, real hair, real everything. Got some crazy talent. I'm like, okay, bet. So Paul Marciano was in my requests. So I wasn't going to see him unless I actually like, unless I put him in my actual inbox, I was not going to see this, which was literally opportunity of a lifetime. And so he brought me in literally the next day to California to do a test shoot. It was so incredible. I shot with Tatiana Gigi and we shot like five or six looks, which were just phenomenal. And then the next day, Paul Marciano brought me to the headquarters. He was like, Hey, you want to, you want to go to Switzerland and walk for guests? I'm like, Yes. Yes, I do. And so in January, they brought me up to Switzerland and I watched for their show. And it was great. So, so now you are in the running to be a guest girl. Is that correct? No. Once you do, you know, some guest modeling, you're on a campaign, you're on the lookbook, whatever it may be, 
You're you're an official guest girl. All right, you're a guest girl. Okay, all right. So that's the first for the Derek Duvall show. We got our first official guest girl on the show. Right on. Well done. Yeah, exciting. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So you got the modeling thing going on right now. Last time I talked to you, you had some acting things that were going on right now. Yeah. Is that still is that still in the works? Oh yeah. So there's been a lot of new opportunities happening. And just randomly in my emails, I get a lot of like pitches and I never know if they're actually like the real deal. So there's been two real deals happening so far. One of them, I'm about to have my Zoom call June 6th. It's for a TV show, my own TV show. It's for a channel that you know very well. I don't know if I can properly say it because I did sign a, a you know, non-disclosure agreement, but right. it's going to be incredible. It's literally like a spinoff of Mythbusters, but like horror style i guess i guess i could say that like scary so it's gonna gonna be great if you could picture that in your brain that's like my first legitimate hosting tv show by myself and i think one other host all right fair enough you remember there was something about a movie you were talking about is that still in the works too or is that off the table Hmm. so i did have a lot of movie offers i'm not sure if they're actually legit there's one with sean gk who i'm trying to work with was it? Yeah. So he does like yeah. a turkey movie, Turkish movies and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's the route I want to go because it is going to take like four or five months to film or possibly mm-hmm. three. It just depends on like where I'm at in this acting career. If this TV show takes off, then, you know, I'm going to ride that wave as long as possible. Right on. So, like I said, you've got uh, your social media channel is obviously, you know, drawing in millions of people now what how, what, are you, what are you up to on instagram how many people are following you now so i think i have 1.14 yeah 1.1 million and four however many that's insane that's you got to think of it in terms of like a geographical state like you know like the population of a big city you right. know right so one million people in a stadium is insane you know what i mean yeah. so I'm grateful for that. And it's mainly come from my TikTok, which recently got banned. I had 2.5 million followers on there. It got banned because I do flips. Literally all the flips that you see on Instagram, that's dangerous content on TikTok. So sad. Is your risk of hitting your head? I don't know, but it said it's performed by a um a professional and it's dangerous content. That's all I get. Say anything about it. Can't even get it back. I- I did see the video of you did you did bump your head in that yes, yes. costume. You that what is that costume called again? So it's my Electra costume. Electra, that's it. Like yeah, the very back of my head when I was doing the forward. You can't even tell. You literally right. can't even tell in the in the video when I watched it back. I was like, did I actually hit my head? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. So where did that? Okay, so you do that pose a lot. Where did that exactly come from? Is that just something you wanted to come with, with the superhero pose? So I remember learning my kip up. And I just did that randomly. Just one day I was like, hmm, kept up. Cool. Um, I do that a lot where I'm like, hmm, breakdancing. Let's just go learn some breakdancing. So I did my kip up first. And then my dad was like, you know, that's, that should be like a little more oof. It needs some oof. I was like, what do I add to this? A split or something? And so now just forward roll and do a, a little pose. I'm like, okay, bet. So I did it my first time and it actually went viral in a club, not a club, but like a club setting, like a party setting. Right. Um, and it got like 10 point something million views. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm doing. Done. <laughs> and then I just kept doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. So like I said, social media channel is, is blowing up and what have you. And it's, it's doing really, really well for you. Go ahead and tell my listeners how best to find you online. Yeah, so my Instagram is beauty and brains with a twist. My YouTube, which is almost at 20,000 followers, I'm slowly getting that up and doing long form content. That's at Rachel Pizzolatto. You can look up my website, beautyandbrainswithatwist.com. Facebook is Rachel Pizzolatto. And Twitter is braintwist2112. And then my TikTok, my new TikTok. Hold on, it's only got 10,000 followers. I just started last month. I mean, it's that <laughs> official Rachel Pizzolatto. You know, you can't do any of those trampoline jumps on that TikTok, I, you know, oh, so. I've just been talking and going throughout my day. <laughs> personally, literally, like, I can't do what people want me to do. That's, and it's so sad. I Like I said, I'm in my 40s. I don't know TikTok. But based on what you just said, I don't think I want to do TikTok now because I do dangerous stuff all the time. So That's that would, what I'm saying. I see yeah. a ton of professionals doing their professional thing. Mm. I am a professional. Let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> and they, 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 I don't know. 
That's funny. All right, Rachel, it was so good to talk to you and you're doing amazing things in this world. And I know, honestly, from I, I truly listen to my heart, you're going to just, your stars just going to keep growing. So keep doing what you're doing, keep with the right people and you're going to do amazing things. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Don't be a stranger on the show. Okay. Don't, don't let fame go to your head. I won't trust <laughs> me. I'm, I'm a humble person. Okay, thanks, Rachel. I do love getting to hang out with some of my favorite guests, and you will see more cameos coming in the coming weeks and months. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, we are now at the halfway point of 2023 and the world is getting hotter. So please do what you can to reduce your carbon footprint. A little, folks, goes a long way. Nostra, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.